Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hello and welcome back to episode 27 of Podcast Royal. I am Rachel and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Jessica. How are you, friend? Doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So my goodness, do we ever have the Royal Rundown for you today, listeners? This is, it's, it's a long one. We'll have some levity at the end. Jessica's got a segment prepared that I know all of you will enjoy about royal travel. But um, I wanted to just start with, you know, Jessica, our episodes drop, right, at 5 a.m. on Wednesdays. I woke up around 6 a.m. last Wednesday to the news that Princess Beatrice is expecting her first child with her husband, Edo. Um, I I think I texted you and sent the link or something. Is, is that when you found out about it, too? Yes, I know we just missed it on our last episode. That's the second time that's happened because I feel like Zara's pregnancy with Lucas was announced on a Wednesday morning as well. And so we barely missed that. But now, of course, we're talking about it. So Beatrice, of course, is already a stepmom to Edo's son, Christopher Wolf, known as Wolfie. But this will be their first child together. And a statement from Buckingham Palace released last Wednesday read, quote, Her Royal Highness Princess Beatrice and Mr. Eduardo Mapelli Mozzi, which is the best, most fun name ever to say, are very pleased to announce that they are expecting a baby in autumn of this year. The Queen has been informed and both families are delighted with the news, end quote. So B has already been spotted out and about since the announcement with an adorable little baby bump. And her sister, Eugenie, marked World Bee Day, like the insect <laughs> with an adorable Instagram post reading, quote, it's World Bee Day, B-E-E Day, a day to celebrate nature's most badass little friend with their black and yellow stripes. But our furry friends have to share today with my big sis B, who's got a little one on the way. BB and Edo, huge congratulations on your news. Can't wait to meet the little one. So name predictions are already rolling in for B's little one, which will be the Queen's 12th great-grandchild. So we always do these name predictions and they always just are, I don't know, they're, they are always like kind of ridiculous, but um, apparently everyone who's betting is really leaning into the fact that Edo is Italian because all of these names are very Italian sounding. So Florence, which of course is a city in Italy, and Theodore are currently the front runners with, again, the top name choices seeming to be a nod to Edo's Italian background. Other name predictions for a little girl include Arabella, which I feel like was a name prediction of maybe Eugenie's, if it, it was- It was be. for one of them. I can't remember which one. Yeah, I don't know if it was Eugenie or Zara or who, but anyway, Arabella, Cecilia, Emmeline, Madeline, Clementine. They, <laughs> Emmeline, Madeline, Clementine. 
Allegra, Gabriella, and Isabella. For a little boy, Julius, Francesco, Hugo, Alexander, Rupert, interesting, Alfonso, and Alberto round out the list. So, so what do you me, think? Well, I don't know what they're going to pick, but this family is just like a family of adorable names. First of all, B is the cutest nickname to me. We've got Edo Mapelli Mazi, which is just fun to say. Wolfie is precious. Um, And like, come on, if they go with Clementine, that's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do have to say though, wasn't Allegra one of the predictions for um, Harry and Meghan's baby? I'm not really Uh sure why that keeps coming up either. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was one of the predictions we read last week or the week prior. Um, I think, wouldn't Bella be in Bella? Be in, be it, be, wait, Bella Mapelli Mozzi. I mean, that's like a fantastic name. Yeah, and that's a good point. With a brother's name like Wolfie, I mean, I guess his name is Christopher Wolf, but with a brother's name like Wolfie, you can't just be like, you know, Clementine to pick on. <laughs> to pick on that name so i don't know we'll see i mean i can't believe that they already have bets out and the baby's not due for six ish months so um yeah i don't know but i just i think it's kind of interesting how so many of those names have an italian bent to it but okay so we have to talk about this jessica so a lot of speculation is being made that Buckingham Palace announced Beatrice's pregnancy on Harry and Meghan's third wedding anniversary last Wednesday. A lot of people are saying it's some kind of, a, I guess, retribution for Meghan announcing her pregnancy with Archie at Eugenie's wedding in October 2018. Do you think these people are reading too much into things? So I saw this speculation going on this last week too and I don't know if she did it intentionally but I have to say if she did I really like her fierce loyalty to her little sister um so I I mean I have a little sister and I can relate to to the bond that you have you know and your kids you might argue and pick on each other but there's always a sort of unspoken rule that you're the only one allowed to pick on your little sister and if anybody else does they have to answer to you um So I don't know if the timing of her announcement was on purpose or not, but um, I mean, way to take up for Eugenie if she did. What do you think? Well, so they're incredibly close. I mean, as evidenced by Eugenie's sweet Instagram posts, there are a lot of days that Beatrice could have announced this pregnancy. Um, I mean, my gosh, it could have been the day before, the day after. Um, I don't there's no way that that some if someone unless someone was asleep at the wheel right (laughs) then there's no way that they didn't know that not only were they announcing this on harry and megan's third wedding anniversary but also there were no happy anniversary posts about it Mm -hmm. alongside this so so here's another interesting thing. I don't really understand the Megan and Eugenie relationship. You know, 
Yeah. It's been said that they were they were friends before Megan even knew Harry, you know, and then I wonder what what that really means when they say friends, like were they close, were they acquaintances, um, and, and I kind of sort of assume that friendship still stands given Harry's relationship with Eugenie and Eugenie and Jack are living at Frogmore Cottage, so there's all these things that kind of make it make you think that they're they're friends, um, but then you look back and it's like, well, you know, Megan announced her pregnancy at Eugenie's wedding. Um, and then if you'll remember, she sort of did it again with her other pregnancy announcement right after Eugenie gave birth. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I don't know if it's like they don't really care about this and journalists are overanalyzing this to get headlines in the news or if there is some kind of weird dynamic going on here. I can't really figure it out. I hope for everyone's sake that we're just sitting over here overanalyzing, but Again, unless someone is asleep at the wheel, you know, I mean, they got married, Harry and Meghan, three years ago. You don't have that short of a memory. You remember May 19th is their anniversary. And to announce that on that day, I mean, again, you could have waited a day, you know, or or done it the day prior. I totally, yeah, I I see where you're going with that. And I think in the world that they live in with the connections that they have and the announcements that they make, they know the rules and the protocols for that. So they totally, they totally know what you're doing. So I I do feel like it's kind of hard to miss that, that date. You know, they've got a a calendar with all that stuff written down. Of course they do. Of course they do. So, I mean, look, I've said many times who is running the PR ship over at Buckingham Palace And again, I would say who is running the PR ship over at Buckingham Palace, either it is intentional and that's its own can of worms or someone really missed the mark and just made a mistake. And that's also a problem. So, yeah. And, you know, look, I know that it was William and Kate's 10th wedding anniversary. That's a milestone anniversary. I realize that Harry and Meghan are not full-time working royals. And so they're not owed, I guess, a happy anniversary post, especially after everything that has been going on in 2021 with the Sussexes and the rest of the family. But you could have done it on May 20th. You could have. And so I can't not at least think there is a 2% chance that (laughs) there's a method to the madness here. So I don't know. That's the, the, the royal family is never complained, never explained, but I guess they get, you know, their jabs in by releasing family announcements over top of other fan. I don't know. Um, <laughs> as if that wasn't enough. So now we're going to get into some really like truly heavy stuff about the family and Harry and just mental health and the whole nine yards. So Harry and Oprah's docuseries, The Me You Can't See, dropped on Apple TV Plus on Friday, May 21st. And listeners, while it is a very important watch and the mental health conversation is a very important one to have, it can also be very triggering. So please be forewarned of that before you tune in. If you haven't tuned in already, it's a five-part docuseries. I got through, I think, the first two and a half parts before I had to take a break. Like I had to step away from the series and watch something funny because it is, it's a very, it's a needed conversation, but it's heavy. It was a very well done 
series. It featured not just Harry and Oprah sharing their stories, but also Lady Gaga, Glenn Close, and a handful of people you may have never heard of, but whose stories are extremely powerful and moving. So did you tune in? And if you did, what did you think? No, I didn't. I've heard a lot of commentary about it so far from others. Um, and, you know, I was interested in watching it, but I had a pretty full weekend this past weekend and I don't actually have Apple TV plus. So I didn't get a chance to uh, look into to watching it. I know you can get a free trial if you want to see it, but, um, but yeah, I, I got the free trial so you can use my one one month free, free trial before it Ooh, okay yeah I'll have to do that um because yeah I, I would like to see it okay well we'll we'll reconnoiter and and talk offline about that um I don't want to give my password out to uh, all of our <laughs> listeners but so so if you haven't seen it which it sounds like you haven't yet I do encourage you to watch it I encourage all of our listeners to watch it it, it's it's triggering so pace yourself um maybe do one hour at a time and then take a break and come back to it um keep in mind this is five hours of programming so to try to dial it down to the royal rundown would be near impossible but i did want to share some of harry's quotes from the docuseries and chat about it because um whereas megan maybe was the quote-unquote star of the oprah interview back in february Megan isn't in this docuseries at all. She she makes literally a one second appearance and I think she says hi and that's it. So it's it's the Harry show for sure. So here are some sound bites from the me you can't see. Quote, family members have said, just play the game and your life will be easier. But I have a hell of a lot of my mom in me. I feel as though I am outside of the system, but I'm still stuck there. The only way to free yourself and breakout is to tell the truth. If your parents don't want to talk about it and your friends can't remind you about it, there's no reason why you shouldn't say, hang on a second, I may be the product of my upbringing. So that's not the only thing he says about the family, but he says that London is a trigger for him. He says, quote, I was like, why do I feel so uncomfortable? And of course, for me, London is a trigger, unfortunately, because of what happened to my mom and because of what I experienced and what I saw. He also says, quote, there was a lot of learning right at the beginning of our relationship, meaning he and Megan. She was shocked to be coming backstage of the institution of the British royal family. When she said, I think you need to see someone, that was in reaction to an argument we had. And in that argument, not knowing about it, I reverted back to 12-year-old Harry. The moment I started therapy and probably within my second session, my therapist turned around to me and said, that sounds like you are reverting to 12 year old Harry. I felt somewhat ashamed and defensive, but how dare you, you're calling me a, calling me a child. She was, I'm not calling you a child. I'm expressing sympathy and empathy for you for what happened to you when you were a child. You never processed it. You were never allowed to talk about it. And all of a sudden now it's coming up in different ways as projection. That was the start of a learning journey for me. I became aware that I'd been living in a bubble within this family, within this institution. I was sort of almost trapped in a thought process or mindset, end quote. So I have learned through my own therapy journey that we very often revert to our quote unquote trauma age or the age where we experience trauma in our lives. It sounds like Harry learned that concept in therapy as well. And his trauma age would of course be 12 because that's the age when his mother died. And so when you're in a stressful situation, 
you oftentimes revert back to your trauma age. So for Harry, that's 12. For some people, it's seven. For some people, it's 16. For some people, it's two. I don't know. So um, that's, that's interesting. It sounds like he's really learning a lot through therapy. You can chime in and jump in at any time, by the way, because this is a lot of me quoting Harry. So um, he also talked about his past drug and alcohol abuse saying, quote, I was willing to drink. I was willing to take drugs. I was willing to try and do the things that made me feel less like I was feeling, but I slowly became aware that, okay, I wasn't drinking Monday to Friday, but I would probably drink a week's worth in one day on a Friday or a Saturday night. And I would find myself drinking, not because I was enjoying it, but because I was trying to mask something. Okay. So we're about halfway through the sound bites. What are your thoughts so far? I mean, you know, I've heard, I've heard these quotes this week as I've listened to some other reports on all of this. And, you know, he is giving a lot of personal information in this. I mean, he's really opening up and sharing a lot of details that we haven't heard before. Yeah, it's very raw. It's very vulnerable. And Oprah does that too. And so does Lady Gaga. Everybody in the series that was profiled does. So continuing on with Harry's words, quote, I'm also really angry with myself that we're stuck in this situation. I was ashamed that it had got this bad. I was ashamed to go to my family because to be honest with you, like a lot of other people my age could probably relate to, I know that I'm not going to get from my family what I need. I thought my family would help, but every single ask, request, warning, whatever, it just got met with total silence, total neglect. We spent four years trying to make it work. We did everything that we possibly could to stay there and carry on doing the role and doing the job. But Megan was struggling. I was woken up in the middle of the night to her crying in her pillow because she doesn't want to wake me up because I'm already carrying too much. That's heartbreaking. I held her. We talked. She cried and she cried and she cried. My father used to say to me when I was younger, he used to say to both William and I, well, it was like that for me. So it's going to be like that for you. That just doesn't make sense. Just because you suffered, it doesn't mean that your kids have to suffer. In fact, quite the opposite. If you suffered, do everything you can to make sure that whatever negative experiences that you had, that you can make it right for your kids. We chose to put our mental health first. That's what we're doing. And that's what we will continue to do. Isn't this all about breaking the cycle? Isn't it all about making sure that history doesn't repeat itself, that whatever pain and suffering has happened to you that you don't pass on? So, I mean, if Charles and Harry are trying to mend their really, I don't know when this was filmed. I mean, it, it wasn't filmed yesterday, right? Because, you know, it takes time to go through production, but um, it was obviously filmed after the February Oprah interview, or at least parts of it were, because Harry says that he doesn't regret anything. He doesn't regret going on the Oprah interview. And so if he and Charles are trying to mend fences, that comment can't help. I mean, Harry has his truth. He's entitled to it. But again, just this therapy is a beautiful thing, but doing therapy in front of the world is not something I would probably recommend, even as a therapy aficionado myself. Yeah, you are, you're taking this right where I was, 
I was thinking myself. I mean, I think Harry's made some really good points. Um, you know, I, I don't disagree with everything that he's saying. I think as a parent, you do want your kids to have a better um, experience than you, and you want to teach them what you learn from your own experiences so they don't have to repeat that. Um, but again, you know, there's, there's a line there on how much of your family's shortcomings you want to share with the world. I think there's a lot of people who aren't anywhere near the level of fame that, that Harry is at, um, who wouldn't um, go through therapy uh, for the entire world to see like this. He literally, you'll see this, Jessica, when you watch the series, he literally has a therapy session on camera. Wow. That's the part where he talks about how London is so triggering to him. And every time he flies into London, he gets tense and he literally did therapy on camera, which is so vulnerable. And I applaud him for that. But while I think truly every human being that lives and breathes should be in therapy, the world would be a lot better place if that were the case. I don't think that it's necessary to do it in front of Oprah and Apple TV plus and the entire universe. Well, um, you're making a good point, and, and that's kind of what I was thinking about this. A lot of what he's sharing is extremely personal and vulnerable, and I don't think anyone um, in the public expected this much sharing from him. I don't know if he feels um, a need to do that, but I think I think there's a lot of value in um, talking about trauma and educating people on um, therapy and addressing that trauma and kind of championing that um, so that that you're showing that that others can relate and, and you can relate to what others are going through. Uh, but there's still a level of privacy there that I feel like um, no one is expecting you to share with the public. Right. And again, it goes back to what we said about the Oprah interview. It's putting out bombshells without giving the other side a chance to respond to them. Because even in my own therapy, I realized that some of my childhood memories are maybe what I remember, but that might not be the full picture. That's just my interpretation of what happened. And you know, that phrase they say there's person A side, person B side in the truth. And, you know, it, it, the, the reality kind of falls somewhere in between all three. And um, it's just must be hard. I'm not a parent, but it must be hard as a father to first of all, hear that your child has trauma at all. I mean, I don't think there's a doubt that Charles loves his sons. Did he make mistakes as a parent? He absolutely did. And so did Diana. And so does every parent living. I mean, you know, you, no parent does it perfectly. Um, Charles and Diana made some pretty public mistakes, but it must be hard as a father to hear that your son has trauma at all, which of course he does because his mother died when he was 12 years old. But to hear him so publicly share some of the deepest depths of their family drama in their family relationships. It's just, I mean, that's just got to be really challenging as a parent. And again, Harry has the right to use his voice and advocate for mental health. I support that all the way, but there comes a point where, and I said this, and you said this about the Oprah interview, 
it becomes voyeuristic to the point where it's too personal. I don't need to know all of this, right? And it's, it's, it's almost uncomfortable to see that level of truth. Um, whereas he should share this with the therapist. I'm not sure he should share this with millions and millions of people, including this woman in Birmingham, Alabama. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I've got, you know, two, two thoughts on that. Um, you know, one is the obvious that everyone's talking about. You hear Harry and Megan saying they moved to California and, and to the U.S. because they wanted privacy. Mm, yeah. Um, they're doing interview after interview after interview after interview. And um, we've gotten so much information, even more than I think we, um, you know, expected or, um, or, or needed to hear. And it comes, you know, brings up that question of, well, you know, did you really want privacy? Um, which which kind of leads me to my next point and what I think is really the saddest of all of this. And I'll be interested to see, uh, to hear your perspective on this, Rachel, if you agree with me or if you feel differently. But I think the sad part is it seems to me like Harry doesn't realize to some level he's being exploited by the media. Um, I think it feels different from him to him because he's getting paid for a lot of what he's doing and it's not the paparazzi hiding in the bushes taking unsolicited photos. Um, but in some way, I do think that these, you know, show producers and, and people, I mean, they're making money off of this. And um, I, I do think that they're kind of tapping into his vulnerability and, and his willingness to open up and, and share right now. And I do feel like in a way he's being sort of exploited and maybe doesn't realize it. Wow. I, I never thought of it that way, but you're, you're right. And, you know, my question is, okay, when does it stop? You know, when is enough enough? Is this it? Because remember, this docuseries has been in the works since 2019. And so that's pre-Harry and Meghan leaving the family the, as working royals. It's pre-them even moving to Canada, let alone the U.S. And so was this his plan all along to, to be this vulnerable? Or did he just really decide to go all in after the events of 2020 happened? So as, as I said earlier, he apparently does not um, regret at least going public and being so vulnerable and raw, but he does say, quote, do I have any regrets? Yeah, my biggest regret is not making more of a stance earlier on in my relationship with my wife and calling out the racism when I did. His, history was repeating itself. I stuttered there because this is, I, even reading it again, it's, it's a very strongly worded statement, what I'm about to say. My mother was chased to her death while she was in a relationship with someone that wasn't white, and now look what's happened. You want to talk about history repeating itself. They're not going to stop until, he said she, but of course he's talking about Megan, dies. So that's wow. incredibly um, hard to hear on so many levels and on a little bit lighter note he harry revealed that archie calls diana grandma diana and said quote yeah i have no doubt that my mom would be incredibly proud of me i'm living the life that she wanted to live for herself living the life that she wanted us to be able to live meaning assuming she, he's meaning him and william so not only do i know that she's incredibly proud of me but that she's helped me get here and I've never felt her presence more as I have done over the last year. 
So I know that's so much to unpack, but are there any closing thoughts on the me you can't see? Um, you know, I think I think we kind of talked about it as you were going through um, the clips that you pulled out from that. And um, I feel like I may have more to say after I get a chance to watch it, but um, very interesting to, to get that recap. We'll make sure you get to watch it. Um, it and, and listeners, I highly recommend this series. It is a much needed conversation about mental health. I am a huge mental health advocate. I've been in therapy for roughly about as long as Harry has, about four years, and it has changed my life for the better. So check it out. That's a sampling. Like I said, it's five hours worth of programming. So that's very dialed down, but um, those are some pretty heavy sound bites. So, okay. So if, if, <laughs> if that was not enough this week, um, my goodness. Also this week, a report was released that journalist Martin Bashir used, quote, deceitful methods to secure his panorama interview with Princess Diana in 1995. The report, which is called the Dyson Report because it was compiled by former High Court Judge Lord John Dyson, says that Bashir breached the BBC's editorial guidelines by creating two false bank statements to manipulate Diana into giving the interview. So both William and Harry released separate statements about the report's findings, and I, I feel like it's relevant to read from them here. So this is William's statement. Quote, I would like to thank Lord Dyson and his team for the report. It is welcome that the BBC accepts Lord Dyson's findings in full, which are extremely concerning. The BBC employees lied and used fake documents to obtain the interview with my mother, made lurid and false claims about the royal family, which played on her fears and fueled paranoia, displayed woeful incompetence when investigating complaints and concerns about the program and were evasive in their reporting to the media and covered up what they knew from their internal investigation. It is my view that the deceitful way the interview was obtained substantially influenced what my mother said. The interview was a major contribution to making my parents' relationship worse and has since hurt countless others. It brings indescribable sadness to know that the BBC's failures contributed significantly to her fear, paranoia, and isolation that I remember from those final years with her. But what saddens me most is that if the BBC had properly investigated the complaints and concerns first raised in 1995, my mother would have known that she had been deceived. She was failed not just by a rogue reporter, but by leaders at the BBC who looked the other way rather than asking the tough questions. It is my firm view that this Panorama program holds no legitimacy and should never be aired again. It effectively established a false narrative, which for over a quarter of a century has been commercialized by the BBC and others. This settled narrative now needs to be addressed by the BBC and anyone else who has written or intends to write about these events. In an era of fake news, public service broadcasting and a free press have never been more important. These failings, identified by investigative journalists, not only let my mother down and my family down, they let the public down too. So are you aware, Jessica, of um, kind of this the backstory behind this? Yeah, I think uh, you and I have actually talked about this a little bit before. Um, I can't say that I was aware of it until recently when um, I started hearing more about it, but um, what I, I mean, feel free to share some for our listeners who may not know. Yeah. And so, you know, the, take this with a grain of salt because there's just, there's just so many different stories that are, first of all, I just am 
sitting here wondering why it took 26 years for this. Why now? I mean, I'm glad it's coming out now, but I'm just curious as to why now. But so allegedly Martin Bashir of the BBC convinced Diana to do this interview on Panorama in 1995 because he said that um, William and Harry's nanny, Tiggy Leg Bork, had had an abortion um, that of she and Charles's child. And, you know, that absolutely, as would for anyone, sent Diana over the edge. Um, you know, she had had speculation that Charles was unfaithful to her with Tiggy. He, he was not. That was fa a fabrication. Now, obviously, Charles was unfaithful to Diana. And Diana was unfaithful to Charles, too. And I feel kind of icky even talking about this now. But um, but it was not with with the nanny, with Tiggy. And so Martin Bashir apparently gave Diana proof that Tiggy had had an abortion of Charles's child. And that angered her so much that she agreed to go on the program and not only go on the program, but be very candid on the program. Uh, fueled by the fire of that um, knowledge that she had incorrectly been given. So, so go ahead. Let me ask you about this. Um, a lot of what's coming out about this now in the news, do you feel like, and I'm asking because I've not read a lot of the recent headline or articles on this, but do you feel like um, that is a point that they're widely talking about? I, you know, I talked with someone this weekend who had read some stuff in the news about the Martin Bashir interview and, and what was going on with the BBC. And they had not heard that part about the abortion. And I shared that part and they mentioned that was not in the uh, news article that they read, that they had just read that it, she was deceived essentially. So have yeah. you seen and all the details coming out widely? No. And, and I only know this because, you know, I've been studying this family for my whole life and I'm 34 years old. They're not talking about, they're, they're saying that it's bank statements and right. I'm assuming that these bank statements are, um, like some kind of like from, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, one could con conjecture that it's like from like a fake bank statement from like an abortion clinic or something like that. It's all false. I was thinking like a, um, transaction, like a false right. transaction, like a, like a doctor's office or something like that. And so, um, they're not talking about it because it's icky and gross. And I hate even talking about it now, but it is, it is the truth. I mean, like that's, that is what got Diana to sit down on that program with him was, was, and, and keep in mind that in 1995, Charles and Diana had been separated for three years. So they were living separate lives and they were not really a couple. They were not divorced, but they were certainly not, in love anymore. Right. And so after this interview happens, and if you'll remember a few weeks ago, I was like, Hey, the panorama interview is going to be on Netflix. Well, it never showed up on Netflix. And now we know why, because this investigation was happening and it shouldn't be shown on Netflix. It shouldn't be shown anywhere ever again, because everything like as a journalist, everything that lured Diana to sit down in that chair was a lie. And so her reaction in that interview it can't be called a true reaction because she 
is sitting there thinking that she's been lied to. She's been deceived. And so anyway, after this interview airs, it's so bombastic that the queen says, okay, you guys have been separated for three years. It's time to go ahead and get a divorce. And so they do. And the divorce is finalized on August 26th, or excuse me, August 28th, 1996. And 368 days later on August 31st, 1997, Diana's dead. And so as I've said on the show before, with the divorce, which could have happened eventually, probably would have happened eventually. I don't know if it would have happened right then, but with the divorce, she lost that protection in her HRH title, which allowed herself to find herself in that Paris tunnel in a car with a drunk driver. Now, am I saying that Martin Bashir killed Diana? No, but he started a domino effect in a chain of events that eventually led to the divorce and to her death. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Martin Bashir is culpable for her death, but I am going to say that he is culpable um, of lying and deceit. And, um, and actually, I'm just going to let Harry speak for me because he says some pretty strong words in his statement. So this is Harry's statement. Quote, our mother was an incredible woman who dedicated her life to service. She was resilient, brave, and unquestionably honest. The ripple effect of a culture of exploitation and unethical practices ultimately took her life. To those who have taken some form of accountability, thank you for owning it. That is the first step towards justice and truth. Yet what deeply concerns me is that practices like these, and even worse, are still widespread today. Then and now, it's bigger than one outlet, one network, or one publication. Our mother lost her life because of this. He says that in the statement. Um, and nothing has changed. He, by protecting her legacy, we protect everyone and uphold the dignity with which she lived her life. Let's remember who she was and what she stood for. It should be noted that Martin Bashir left the BBC ahead of the network's release of the report. So... Let me give my final thoughts here and then Jessica, I wanna hear from you. So as I mentioned a minute ago, I think if there was no Panorama interview, there would have been no divorce, at least not immediately. And there would have been no car crash in Paris in 1997. So I second Harry when he says that in a roundabout way, this interview cost Diana her life. Also people, this, this breaks my heart the most probably. People called Diana crazy for repeating what Martin Bashir lured into her into the interview with, that very specific lie that I will not repeat. And that might be what makes me the most sad is that Diana was labeled crazy and off her rocker and unhinged because she believed the lie she was told. That breaks my heart. So um, it, it absolutely, as, as, as of course it would, fueled her paranoia about her relationship with Charles and just is a disgusting and despicable lie and the opposite of what good journalism is. So what are your thoughts on this? I mean, it's just so sad and disturbing to think about the chain of events in that way and, and the impact of that interview. Um, you know, I, I think Princess Diana and Prince Charles 
their marriage had essentially disintegrated at that point. Um, but you're right, the divorce was not something that had been encouraged or, or occurred at that, at that point in time. Um, I think we can really hear the passion in William's statement and how strongly he feels about this and, and Harry as well. Both of, of these men were, I mean, their lives were so changed by this. And I can't imagine the experience that, that they went through, um, you know, having to deal with that at such a young age. So really, 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 really sad, um, all of this. And, you know, I mean, I guess, my closing thoughts on that is I'm glad that the truth has come forward um, and that hopefully um, they've got some peace about that. And I'm so sad that Diana had to leave this earth not knowing that that lie was not was not true um, because I think she went to her grave thinking that it was mm -hmm. and not only thinking that it was, but being condemned and called unhinged for believing that lie. Um, just so sad all the way around. And may this remind our listeners and you and I that our actions have consequences and what we say and do has a ripple effect. And again, do I think that Martin Bashir has blood on his hands? I don't, but I definitely think he is a contributor, if nothing else, to the final breakdown of the prince and princess of Wales's marriage. And that's enough for me to condemn him for that. Um, even if it didn't lead ultimately to her death. Um, just, it's just so wrong. And so I hate that Diana had to go to her grave, believing a lie that wasn't true. I'm like getting emotional over here and I, and I don't really know why. So I'm going to switch gears. Uh, what a heavy little episode we have today. My goodness. Um, is it your, is it your segment yet, Jessica? Well, it almost <laughs> is. So, um, okay. Happier news. So first William and now later Kate are on tour in Scotland this week. And while there, William, well, now we're back to a little bit of kind of depressing content, but it'll get happier. Um, William opened up about his feelings about the country saying, quote, Scotland is incredibly important to me and will always have a special place in my heart. I've been coming to Scotland since I was a small boy. As I grew up, I saw how my grandmother relishes every minute she spends here, and my father is never happier than when walking among the hills. In short, Scotland is the source of some of my happiest memories, but also my saddest. Um, William, of course, was at Balmoral when he learned of his mother's death in 1997. He continued, quote, I was in Balmoral when I was told that my mother had died. Still in shock, I found sanctuary in the service at Crathy Kirk that very morning. And in the dark days of grief that followed, I found comfort and solace in the Scottish outdoors. As a result, the connection I feel to Scotland will forever run deep. And yet alongside this painful memory is one of great joy because it was here in Scotland 20 years ago this year that I first met Catherine. Um, he met her, of course, while they were both students at St. Andrews. And he continued, quote, needless to say, the town where you meet your future wife holds a very special place in your heart. George, Charlotte, and Louis already know how dear Scotland is to both of us, and they are starting to build their own happy memories here, too. 
We have no doubt that they will grow up sharing our love and connection to Scotland from the highlands to the central belt, from the islands to the borders. So Kate joined William in Scotland this past Monday and among other stops, they are visiting St. Andrews University where they met and fell in love 20 years ago this year, which is crazy. So um, this travel comes after William revealed that he has had the COVID vaccine, writing, quote, on Tuesday, I received my first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. To all those working on the vaccine rollout, thank you for everything you've done and continue to do. He wrote that on the official Duke and Duchess of Cambridge social media accounts. And there was also a very impressive shot of his bicep that is getting a lot of attention and for good reason. You look great, William. Um, okay, my final piece of this uh, god awful long royal rundown, happier news again, Pippa Middleton Matthews and her husband James celebrated their fourth wedding anniversary on May 20th and the queen is back at work visiting the company of the HMS Queen Elizabeth ahead of its upcoming world tour. So, what a week you just never know as a royal reporter what you're gonna get sometimes you get nothing and sometimes you get everything <laughs> in one week so i'm handing it over to you um, william and kate are traveling again love it and so tell us some royal travel trip royal travel tips say that five times fast yeah, well, you know, I thought this was a great time to bring this up. So as we just talked about, um, the family is back to traveling for engagements. Uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall have also been in Northern Ireland. Um, I think it was last week and Will and Kate are in Scotland this week. So, you know, things are getting back to normal for them. And um, I even found myself looking out for uh, the awesome fashion on these trips as well, flipping through Instagram and, and seeing what Kate and uh, Camilla have both been wearing on these trips. But with that being said, I know summer is just around the corner and um, after a year of everyone being cooped up at home, I sort of imagine people are eager to grab their bags and jet set to some fun destinations in the coming months. So for anyone listening, if you haven't flown in over a year, I actually just got back from a trip where I had to fly. And I have to say the experience was better than I expected. I kind of prepared for it to be sort of uncomfortable, um, but it was really smooth. And um, if you're contemplating a trip in the near future, I say go for it. So all of this talk about travel, uh, you know, really has me thinking about royal family travels. And I thought we should go through some royal travel tips this week for our listeners. Before you guys get ready to leave for any summer vacations, I've done a little research on how to get from point A to point B and back again um, with some of the best tips from the royal family. So we'll go ahead and get started here. The first tip I have for our listeners is when you're getting ready to go on vacation, make sure to pack as much wrinkle-free clothing options as you can find. Um, you know, sometimes even if you iron or you steam your clothes before you pack, they still end up wrinkled by the time you arrive at your destination. And I don't even really think that trick of rolling things up and putting in them in your suitcase works very well. Um, so wrinkle-free definitely makes travel a little bit easier. Uh, according to whowhatwhere.com, a few wrinkle-free fabric options to consider include wool, tinsel fabric, which is super soft by the way, 
polyester, cashmere, knit fabrics, and spandex. Um, Kate, of course, keeps this in mind when she's selecting dresses, tops, and other articles of clothing for engagements abroad. Um, she has been known to go with wrinkle-free options uh, for her travels. So moving on to number two, Rachel, I think you're going to like this one. I really like this tip. Um, be sure to bring quality skincare with you to keep your skin hydrated and healthy. So we all know the air on a plane can be drying and, uh, you know, often we don't drink enough water or get enough sleep when we're traveling. So some really great hydrating skincare products can be really helpful in keeping your skin healthy and your face looking fresh. Be sure to bring a good moisturizer, some facial SPF, a toning spray, and maybe even a sheet mask or some other type of facial spa mask to give your skin a little love on the road. Um, we know Kate loves a really good tinted moisturizer. So if you can find one with SPF included, that's a great way to get several ingredients into one product. And if you plan to be in the sun at all, uh, maybe pack some aloe vera, which can be cooling and calming for your skin. And then as fun as it is to sightsee while on a trip, Rachel and I both know there is nothing like relaxing in your hotel room with room service and a good rom-com. So if you have time for that, um, bring your facial spa mask, not your COVID mask, your, your sheet mask and your, um, your other face mask to enjoy while you're in your room. So um, Rachel, I have to ask you, do you have any favorite skincare products you like to bring when you travel? Yeah, I really like on my fancier, you know, I, I, first of all, I have just realized when you said that I have not been on a plane in uh, 17 months, which wow. is for sure a record for me. Um, the last trip I took was uh, to Costa Rica in January of 2020, and I haven't been on a plane since. And I don't have any plans to be on a plane in the future, but I love a good Joanna Vargas face mask. I, um, I, I like to sightsee and be out and about, but I also love being in a hotel room with room service and a, and a sheet mask on and a good movie on the TV. And like, I, I enjoy that so much. Like I might even enjoy that more than sightseeing. So um, like, that's why the hotel always really matters to me, but I love a good Joanna Vargas sheet mask. She, her sheet masks are legendary. Well, okay. So our next tip is um, I think it's a good tip. Kate approaches interesting. So I'll be curious to get your take on this one. Um, all right. Number three is to keep your clothing organized and smelling fresh while you're on the road. So we've all kind of experienced that disaster of opening your suitcase when you get to your destination and you can't find where you stuck a top or a pair of underwear or your pajamas and you're having to pull everything out to find the one thing you're looking for. So you've got that issue and then you've got clothes that have been zipped up in a suitcase for several hours. So they might not be as fresh when you get ready to put them on. Have no fear. The Royals do have a solution for this. Um, so I don't know if you know this about this, Rachel, but Kate actually wraps each item of clothing in tissue paper and layers them in her suitcase to keep them separated and to provide a protective layer from all the weird smells that you might get in your suitcase. Um, she also keeps her dresses in separate hanging bags when she travels, but we know she, she travels with some pretty fancy dresses. Um, have you ever wrapped your clothes before packing them, Rachel? No, but that is a great tip. Um, yeah, so 
I actually got a really cool gift for Christmas this past year from my grandmother. Um, and I used them on a trip recently and I've got to recommend them to our listeners. So she got me packing cubes. Um, there were several that came together and I was able to actually separate my clothes out by outfit. So, I mean, I put everything in there, including socks and underwear for that day and zipped each outfit into its own individual little packing cube and then stacked them in the suitcase. And I mean, it did a really good job keeping things organized. I was really impressed. Um, So if you haven't tried that, I highly recommend it. You pack the night before, days before, the morning of? Uh, So if I know I've got something coming up, I'll start. So there's like a corner of my room that is doesn't really have anything in it. And I start setting a few items in that corner that I won't need before my trip. So, but then it's always like, the night before and morning of that I'm doing last minute things. What about you? Yeah. Um, I used to always do it the morning of, but, um, before I stopped flying for COVID, I started, I don't know why I do this every time I do this. I'm like, I I regret it, but I started doing really early morning flights. So I started getting pretty much everything, like all the clothes that I could, uh, ready to go. And then of course you have to do the last minute stuff, the things you use in the morning, but I I'm trying to do it more than the, just the morning of, but I used to be pretty notorious for doing it the morning of I'm trying to change, trying to, trying to be an adult. Adulting is the silliest thing I've ever done, by the way. <laughs> well, my bad habit is overpacking. Oh yeah. Well, and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, imagine being Kate and like knowing that, you know, there are literal websites dedicated to to scrutinizing your every look, like at least (laughs) nobody cares what I wear, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, another thing I also do is um, I have a zip up hanging bag and I do take that on road trips with me if I'm not flying, if I'm just driving somewhere um, just for like special items, like a nice blouse or a dress or something, if I'm carrying that with me. Um, so that comes in handy because I don't have to put that in my suitcase with my folded clothes. Yeah. I'll Um, take a, I'll take my zip up hanging bag with me on planes. Like I've taken many a bridesmaid's dress in in my zip up folding bag. That's it. Yeah. That's a good idea. Um, another really cool little thing that I discovered a few years back, um, I have like a weekender bag um, and it's got a separate compartment just for shoes. Um, So the shoes zip in separately on the bottom and then the clothes go in the top. And I love that because if my shoes get dirty or whatever, I don't have to worry about them rubbing up against my clothes. Oh, that's really smart. Yeah. All right. So number four is invest in nice luggage and coordinate your bags if you travel with family. So the Royals actually have a system in place to keep their bags in order when they travel. And this helps ensure that every person's luggage arrives where it's supposed to. Uh, So first off, the Cambridge family, uh, they have their trusted brand of luggage that they always use and love. And it is the high-end Globetrotter luggage. It looks very vintage to me. I don't know if you've seen this brand before. Um, but Will and Kate and even the kids use this line and I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. I don't recommend you go out and buy a set from Globetrotter because one piece of Globetrotter luggage can easily set you back $2,000. Um, so unless you're traveling a lot, um, I don't know. I feel like you can probably find some really great, reliable luggage that may have some cool tech features even, uh, that you could probably get for a lot less than that. Another news, Globetrotter is not going to be a sponsor of podcasts. 
spoil. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll change our tune if you want to sponsor us, Globetrotters. <laughs> Um, so I personally, for me anyway, when I am thinking about luggage and, and the features that I really like are the, um, the bags that have the wheels that kind of spin in all directions. So you don't have to tilt your bag when you roll it through the airport. Definitely look for those if you don't already have one of those. Um, and then, so once you have your luggage in place, consider the color coordination, um, system that the Royals use. So they have luggage tags and they color code the tags based on the name of the person the bag belongs to and then where the bag should be dropped off upon arrival. So when I was researching this, I found out that yellow means the bag is going to a residence. Blue means the bag is wanted on the aircraft and green means it's going to a hotel. And I also read that Duchess Catherine or Kate Middleton, as you may know her, has the letter C embroidered into the inside of her clothing, clothing. So there's no mistakes on, you know, who a dress belongs to. Who um, else the dress belong to? Well, it's I don't know. Not... I guess if it's a C, it could be Camilla for that matter. But well, yeah, but it's not Williams. It's not the kids. And so, you know, <laughs> anyway, that's that's pretty <laughs> cool, though. One of those special touches, I guess, that you get to yep. do if you're royal. Yep, I love the color coordinate. Like I, I, that that kind of stuff makes my soul sing. Like that makes me so happy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they change their colors around or if yellow is always the residence color or what they do, but um, definitely a good idea if you're traveling with kids and maybe you know even just putting the name in a different color um, on the on the luggage so you know who whose bag is whose. I think that's a cool idea. So number five, um, always pack comfortable shoes, a versatile dress, and some sunglasses. So we've seen Kate and Megan both in comfortable shoes while traveling in the past. Um, we know Megan is a fan of Rothy's and I actually have a pair of Rothy's and I can confirm not only are they comfortable, but they're also machine washable, which makes them extra cool. Um, and Kate has also been seen wearing boat shoes on a few of her trips. Um, one time she was wearing them on a safari in India and then she had them appropriately so when she was sailing in New Zealand. Um, so go for comfortable shoes. And then the versatile dress is, in my opinion, a duchess best practice. You really don't know, you know, when you're traveling, if you're going to maybe pop into a restaurant for a nice glass of wine, um, or maybe it's hot outside and you just don't want to wear pants. So look for a lightweight, sort of flowy, anti-wrinkle dress option for vacation. And then, of course, sunglasses is a must. I don't really think this needs any explanation. Um, but I do recommend bringing a cheat pair with you, especially if you go to the beach, because a few years ago, I actually was at the beach with my family and I got hit by a wave and I had a really nice pair of Ray-Bans on and they fell into the ocean and I would have lost them forever, except for my dad happened to be in the ocean too. And he like, jumped down there really quick and went under the water and pulled them out for me. I would not have been able to go that quick and grab them. So um, I have a sad sunglasses story too. So when I was in Costa Rica, I had gone, um, I was on like a day trip, one of those that you pay for where obviously there's no way I'm driving myself through the mountains of Costa Rica, but um, we had gone to this 
artisanal shop and I'd bought these sunglasses that were so cool. I loved them. And do you know how long I had those sunglasses, Jessica? I had them for two hours because I, (laughs) we went to the hot springs in Costa Rica later that afternoon. And I had put the sunglasses, um, I had tucked the sunglasses into my swimsuit top, um, and had forgotten that they were there. I always put my sunglasses on top of my head, but I was wearing a hat that day. And so I tucked them into my swimsuit top and I jumped into the hot springs and I lost them. And they, they were so cute. I paid like $13 for them, uh, in American dollars and whatever that is in Costa Rica money. And I, was devastated. And so I completely agree with this tip because if there is a way for me to lose sunglasses and water, I will do it. And then I looked for my sunglasses everywhere and realized, oh, they're in a hot, they're probably all the way down the, the, the way in the, in a hot spring, you know, down, down the, the rapids. So Yep, that was find uh, some pretty cute, cheap sunglasses now, like on Amazon and different places they are easy to find. Yep. Yep. But don't, don't wear your, you know, 200, $300 sunglasses to the beach. You know, if if you lose them, you'll be very upset. Yes. So tip number six is, uh, this is another really good royal tip, I think from the, the duchesses. And if you want to look nice traveling, um, like sort of high end, I guess, but don't want to break the bank on a whole new wardrobe for your vacation, try balancing a few nicer items with more budget-friendly options um, and definitely pack a couple of button-up shirts. So button-up shirts automatically give whatever you're wearing a more polished look, whether you pair them with some shorts or jeans or, I mean, really just about anything, even over a bathing suit, they just kind of elevate everything that you're wearing. Um, So the button-up shirt tip is really a good one. Um, We know Megan loves a good button-up. Um, and then also if you mix like a nicer handbag with an affordable top or, you know, your old pair of jeans that will also elevate your whole look. And I love an inexpensive white t-shirt with a really great pair of sunglasses or a nice pair of sandals. Um, you know, you don't have to break the bank on your whole outfit to just take your look to the next level. I know the big trend this year has been, uh, the golden goose tennis shoes um, and, and some other name brand sandals that have been, I think uh, the Chloe sandals I've been seeing a lot of people in. Those are definitely splurge pieces. So if that's something that you want to invest in, um, try balancing it out with an understated, you know, basic, like a white t-shirt um, or some shorts or an off-brand cotton dress. Um, and you'll, you'll still have some of the nicer uh, name brand items that you want, but you don't have to splurge on every, everything that you're wearing. So another tip we've got here is (laughs) this one's kind of funny, but be careful what you eat while you're on the road and consider creating kind of a no eat list for travel to help you stay on top of foods that you want to avoid uh, while you're on a trip. So I know this kind of sounds weird at first because I think most people eat whatever we want on vacation. We don't deny ourselves a tasty treat um, because it's vacation. 
But there are a lot of reasons why you might want to avoid certain foods. So maybe you've got an allergy that you forget about sometimes, or um, maybe certain foods give you really bad breath, or they make you bloat, or you're just afraid of getting sick on a plane or going down the highway. You know, no one wants to be stuck in a car or a tiny airplane bathroom while they're sick to their stomach. So for all of these reasons, the royals avoid eating um, seafood when they travel, especially shellfish. So the reason for this is that seafood has a higher chance of giving someone food poisoning. Um, and they're way too busy on their trips to have to deal with, you know, being down a day or two for food poisoning. And they also tend to avoid other food that might carry a high risk of upsetting their stomach. So uh, any type of like rare meat, local water, uh, really spicy food or exotic dishes are all things that they avoid. So um, I'm curious, Rachel, are there any foods that you try to avoid when you travel? Well, I, I try to eat actually, like, I know that you're on vacation and you're supposed to go all out, but as someone who has been sick in an airplane bathroom before, let me tell you, you don't want that life. <laughs> you don't, you don't want that to be you. So if you have a sensitivity to something, um, there, there was a, a, a very poor decision-making on my part that actually did not involve alcohol. I know all of you are thinking I was hungover. I wasn't. I ate a uh, really fast meal of a fast food chain that I won't name because I don't feel like getting sued. Um, mm -hmm. It's a Southern fast food chain. And I'll tell you what it is offline, Jessica. And I ate it right before I got on a flight. And I have never been so sick. And that was 11 years ago. And I've never eaten at this pain <laughs> since. And I probably I never guess. will. I definitely will have to know what it is later. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a no-go fly zone for me with me in that chain. Like I, some, uh, somebody suggested going to eat there just the other day. And I said, never again. So don't let that be you. Don't get sick in an airplane or in a car for that matter. Just you know your limitations, enjoy the food, live your life, but know what doesn't work for you. Yeah, you know, I've never created a no eat list for travel, but I am sort of intrigued by this and actually might consider it. I feel like I'm a little weird when it comes to eating when I travel, but I've never pinpointed everything that I avoid. I just try to be a little bit safer. You know, usually when you're on the road, you're stopping at places that are unfamiliar or you go to a restaurant and you get there and you're like, oh, I'm not really sure. And so I just, you know, try to um, navigate that carefully when I'm traveling, but I have never actually made a list. I do generally, um, I guess, I'll avoid, I'll avoid certain things like, you know, surprisingly, sometimes eating fried food can be the safer option because a lot of the bacteria has been fried out of it. But, um, but, you know, I've heard before, like, um, some of the worst food poisoning that people get is from like salsas and salads, um, and things like that. So, you know, because it's a lot of uncooked raw food, so it can have cross contamination. So, just something to think about, not to uh, put a damper on your travel, but <laughs> <laughs> look, let me tell you what puts a damper on the travel is that uh, those airport bathrooms are tiny. It's really embarrassing to be getting sick, like literally <laughs> right next to a passenger who's like back is to the bathroom. And um, 
goodness, not, not great. So be, know, know yourself and what your body can handle. So moving along to our next tip, um, try packing re-wearable items for extra room in your luggage. So basics like yoga pants, white tops, jeans are all items that can be worn more than once. Um, especially if you go somewhere like a beach house where you have a washer and dryer, um, you can even wash them on your trip. But we know that Kate tends to bring along a few items like this that she can rewear if necessary. Um, and many of the basic clothes, like what I just mentioned, can be easily mixed and matched with other items to create a new look and people won't even really know you're rewearing them. Um, so whether you're trying to just keep everything in a small carry-on or you want extra room in your bag for souvenirs, if you pack a few of those basic items, you can rewear them on your trip and save yourself some room in your luggage. And lastly, I want to wrap this segment up with a few travel facts about the royal family that I stumbled upon in my research. So first of all, if you have read much about the royal family, you probably already know this one. Members of the royal family always pack a black outfit when they travel. And I think, Rachel, we've even talked about this on the podcast. I think we before. have, yeah. Um, you know, this dates back to 1952 when Queen Elizabeth was in Kenya with Prince Philip and she got the news that her father had passed away. She hadn't packed a black dress for the trip and she didn't have one to wear home when traveling back to the UK. And we know that black is the color of mourning and is often worn following the death of a member of the family. So um, that's a rule that they kind of keep on their on their list when they're traveling. And then another interesting fact is Senior members of the family don't fly together on the same plane. So that means Prince Charles and Prince William won't fly together. Prince William um, is also not supposed to fly on the same plane as his children. We know lately that um, him and, and Kate with the three young kids, they um, have had to take several trips together. So I think there have been a few instances where they have requested from Her Majesty if they could travel on the same plane and she approved that request. Uh, but generally it's a precaution that they take just in case something were to happen. They wanna make an effort to keep as many heirs safe as possible. And then next fact is royal women try very carefully to wear clothing that won't blow up in the wind when they're exiting a plane. So it's not uncommon for Kate or Megan or another female in the family to wear a bodysuit under their dresses or um, some type of static inducing clothing that makes sure that whatever they're wearing stays close to their skin um, and won't cause a wardrobe malfunction. And another, I've got two more on here for you. So royals often pack backup clothes when they travel. Queen Elizabeth is especially known to do this. She has had duplicate outfits made in case something were to happen to the first one. Um, she can still wear that planned outfit because she's got the backup in her um, in her suitcase. So um, a lot of uh, double clothes, I, I guess. You know, we talked last week about a duplicate wedding cake being made. Yeah, and it reminds me of... Um... <laughs> the queen lost her bouquet do you remember this at her wedding and so now all royal <laughs> brides have to have a duplicate bouquet made just in case so you just have duplicates of everything i guess so 
Um, and then the last little fun fact on here. So when Kate travels, she actually brings her hairstylist along with her to make sure her locks look their absolute best. And her stylist was once asked about what she brings along to do Kate's hair. Um, so of course she brings a case full of products and, and tools, but part of that includes 13 hairbrushes uh, that she brings. Uh, yeah, lots, lots goes into looking like a princess. Well, her hairdresser is doing the Lord's work on Kate's hair because Kate is, has flawless hair. So however many hairbrushes it takes to get the job done. I agree. I think she's got beautiful hair. Um, so that wraps up our little segment on travel. Um, I hope that was fun. And I do hope uh, our listeners got a few practical tips that they can take with them this summer. And speaking of summer, um, want to let our listeners know we are wrapping up the last full week of May. Um, and so we're heading into June. And for the next few months of summer, uh, we may switch up our, our podcast content a little bit in our schedule. So uh, we definitely know everyone's enjoying the summer vacation and we want to take some time to do that ourselves. So We'll probably scale back a little bit. You may see that we skip a few episodes here and there um, and maybe do a few uh, few less episodes over the course of the summer, but we'll still be here and we'll definitely be reporting on all the big news. Um, and then we may try out some new segments just for fun, uh, you know, depending on what interests us. So we hope you'll stay with us and look forward to that. Yeah, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up. I'm really, I'm really pumped for the summer and, you know, we're going to take a little bit of uh, a respite as well because let me tell you like reporting on news like we did today that's heavy so um we we're we'll still be here we're not going anywhere but we might as jessica said scale back a little bit so anyway if you haven't already hop over to our instagram at podcast royal because we've got some great cake content up including Grace Kelly and uh, Prince Rainier's cake, which is as advertised, totally over the top. Um, so follow us there. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. Uh, again, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We appreciate you listeners so much. We will chat with you next week. Bye. Bye.